You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. Over the last week, the leaders of Shashnya, a member state of the Russian Federation, have had this to say about gay men. There aren't any gay men in Chechnya. If such people existed in Chechnya, law enforcement would not have to worry about them, a spokesperson for the leader of Chechnya said, because their own relatives would have sent them to where they could never return. Another spokesperson for the Chechnyan government told the New York Times that gay men are like insects. I never saw them with my own eyes and I never heard of them. I never thought of them. In my 50 years, I have never seen a gay man. I see flies. I see mosquitoes. But I have never seen a gay man. And the leader of Shashnia, Ramzan A. Kadrov, has pledged to rid the region of gay men by Ramadan, which is coming up in May. Odd that you would pledge to rid the region of something that doesn't exist in the region because other spokespersons for Shashnia's leader are saying there are no gay men in Shashnia. There are insects, other kinds of insects, but none of those insects known as gay men. So weird that he would pledge to cleanse Shashnia of the gay men who already don't exist in Chechnya because their families have already killed them. These statements were all made after reports emerged from Chechnya of gay men being rounded up, put in a concentration camp in Grozny, beaten, tortured, murdered, forced to reveal the names of other gay men. And the gay men who aren't being murdered in this concentration camp are then released, beaten and bruised and broken to their families who are expected and often do finish them off. Honor killings. And now gay men are fleeing Shashnya for other parts of the Russian Federation, which isn't itself a wonderful place to be lesbian, gay, bisexual, or trans. There has been an anti-gay pogrom underway, a soft pogrom in comparison to the pogrom going on right now in Chechnya, but an anti-gay pogrom underway in Russia led by Vladimir Putin since 2013 when the Russian Federation passed a law making quote-unquote gay propaganda illegal, propagandizing that there's anything normal about homosexuality to minors. This has effectively made it illegal to be openly gay in Russia, to speak of yourself as a gay person in Russia, to have any representation in the media, to argue for your rights, to press for LGBT civil rights or protections in Russia because you can't talk to a newspaper or on television or in front of your family about being gay without potentially minors overhearing you. And the law defines gay propaganda as anything a minor might overhear. So it is illegal right now in Russia to be out. And gay men are fleeing Chechnya where it is legal to be alive and gay for Russia. That law that passed in 2013 banning, quote, propaganda of non-traditional sexual relationships led to a wave of attacks on gay men, lesbians, bisexuals, trans people, roving gangs posted ads on gay hookup apps, lured usually young gay men, teenagers to fields or apartments for hookups where then they were tortured and abused. The abuse was filmed, posted to social media accounts. Videos were posted of trans women being beaten in the streets of Moscow. One of the leaders of these attacks had an Instagram account where he was posting pictures of himself and his compatriots with the young gay men that they were torturing. People are asking what can be done about this shit going down in Chechnya, what we can do about what's going down in Chechnya. And there are really three things we can do. The first thing we can do is bear in mind that this backlash in places like Russia against 
gay people and Nigeria and Uganda and Chechnya is driven in part by the successes of the LGBT civil rights movement in the West. It is a way for a shitty country, an authoritarian country, a country with falling standards of living, a country that can't provide for its own people, a country that murders journalists, a country where freedom of speech has been restricted, like Russia, to assert its moral superiority over the West by saying, hey, whatever else is wrong here, at least we're not letting those faggots get married. Whatever else is wrong here, we're the morally upstanding ones. We, are, we sit on the moral high ground because we are rounding up and killing in Chechnya or just abusing and terrorizing here in the rest of the Russian Federation those awful queers that you see walking around in the West, in New York City, in San Francisco, in Chicago, in Paris, in London, and Vienna holding hands. Here they can't do that. So we're the better place. So we in the West need to bear that in mind. As we have these successes, as the LGBT civil rights movement has these successes, the backlash comes not just here but there as well, which creates for us a moral responsibility to help, to help the queers in places like Uganda, in places like Nigeria and Russia and Chechnya who are suffering in part because of our success in the West. What else can we do? We can protest. There were large protests at embassies and consulates, Russian embassies and consulates around the world, in Western capitals, in Seattle even. In response to the 2013 anti-gay propaganda law and the abuses and the violence that it kicked off. And those protests didn't succeed in getting the law repealed. It did get the Russian government to clamp down on the roving gangs that were terrorizing gay people. Hasn't stopped entirely, but there is less of it. And other laws that were proposed, other anti-gay laws, stalled because of the protests. So what can we do? We can protest. We can remember that we have a moral responsibility to come to the defense of queers in these other countries who are being abused in part because of our successes in the West, and we can protest. There have been protests at the Russian consulate in New York City. There are Russian consulates in San Francisco, Seattle, Houston, and embassy in Washington, D.C. There needs to be protests at those places Two. And finally, if you're not the protest type, and I'm glad to say that more and more people out there every day are becoming the protest type. But if you're not the protesting type, if you're not going to take to the streets, you can make a donation to the Russian LGBT network at lgbtnet.org slash en. That's for the English version of the site, lgbtnet.org slash en. This is an organization that is working, that's created a kind of underground railroad to spirit gay men out of Grozny, out of Chechnya, and to other parts of the Russian Federation where they are safer, safe being relative, than they are in Chechnya. So those are the three things you can do. And finally, there are assholes on the internet. I'm sure I don't have to tell you that. I'm sure we all know now that there are assholes on the internet, just like there are assholes everywhere, but they are really toxic and concentrated on the internet. And there are a lot of assholes on the internet pointing to what's going on in Chechnya, that small handful of gays for Trump, and arguing that this is proof that gay people should embrace Donald Trump, that gay people should recognize that Donald Trump, who is confronting radical Islam, is on our side, and Vladimir Putin too, that we should embrace these strong Christian leaders who are going to defeat radical Islam. When you see an asshole on the internet making that argument, Tell them, remind them, point out to them that the leader of Shashnia, the guy who has pledged to rid Shashnia of the gay men who are not in Shashnia to begin with by Ramadan, serves at the sufferance of Vladimir Putin. He is a puppet in Shashnia of Vladimir Putin's. Vladimir Putin is the dictator of the Russian Federation. The leader of Shashnia, appointed by Vladimir Putin, does nothing without Vladimir Putin's approval. So the pogrom the murderous, homicidal, anti-gay pogrom 
underway right now in Chechnya. The man ultimately responsible for that is not a Muslim. The man ultimately responsible for that is nominally claims to be a Christian, Vladimir Putin. So throw that in the faces of any assholes on the internet who make this specious bullshit argument. Reading the reports out of Chechnya, it's horrifying. But there are things we can do about it here. All right, coming up on today's show, tons of your questions, lots of my answers, your Q, my A. And on the Magnum edition of the Savage Lovecast, Ben Steele from cuckoldingrelationships.com is here to talk about cuckolding. All coming up. Hey, Dan. Uh, my girlfriend and I have been going out for about a year and change. And about six months in, uh, she completely lost interest in sex. Um, and I've had, I've heard people on your show that have lost interest in sex because they're stressed or because they're pregnant and neither of us understand or know really why this happened, but it's kind of starting to get weird. It's starting to mess with my head and it's starting to mess with our relationship. So we've been talking about counseling and meditation and therapy, but it's causing some problems because we're not sure how big of a role I should take in this, or rather, I'm not sure how big of a role I can or want to take in this. Um, not because I don't want her to be happy or because I don't love her or because I don't want this to work, but because she wants me to look into methods that might limit my sex drive until she can get hers back. And I don't know that I want to do that. I like having a pretty high drive. I think it fits in with my personality. I think it makes me part of who I am, that I have high drives in a lot of ways. Um, so I guess my question is, what can and should both of us do? Um, what can and should she do in order to try and maybe reinvigorate our sex life? And what can and should I do in order to maybe be more patient and wait. If your girlfriend wants a companion animal that she can castrate, she should get a dog or a cat or a gopher or a goldfish or something else. Methods that might limit your sex drive. There's only one method I'm aware of that limits someone's sex drive, and that is chemical castration, which has side effects. In addition to the castration part, which is the effect effect and not a side effect. And in my opinion, it is an unpleasant and unwanted one. At least in your case, there are some people who benefit from chemical castration. And of course, there are some people out there in the cutting community, the castration community, who might be angry at me for suggesting that castration is something someone might want to avoid. If that's your turn on and you want to do it, you go for it. But that is not the caller's turn on and not what he wants to do. And there are side effects to what your girlfriend is hinting at. If indeed she is hinting at Chemical castration, which includes loss of bone density, cardiovascular disease, osteoporosis, and boobs. And I'm assuming you do not want to acquire boobs at this stage of life. Things got weird six months ago, and I think you've stuck in there quite long enough, and I think you are now free to go, and you are free to go with a clear conscience because – you are seeking a sex partner. You are looking for someone that you can have a romantic and sexual relationship with, someone who wants to be with you and wants to fuck you and enjoys sex and would like to be intimate with you in that way. And she clearly isn't that person. Who knows what her problem is, but she needs to go figure out what her problem is. And I have a theory about what her problem might be. 
because there are reasons why people lose interest in sex that do not have to do with stress or pregnancy or getting your PhD or new job, which I guess you could file both of those under stress. She could be one of those people who six months into a new relationship loses attraction to the person that she's with now. She may be one of those people. You should ask her if this has been a pattern over the course of her romantic life over the course of her dating life. And if it indeed has been a pattern, at a certain point, she's got to accept that this is how her libido works and that she is not cut out for long-term commitments and she is not entitled to a castrated boyfriend. She is entitled perhaps to date casually, to have friends with benefits, to have an open relationship that allows her to have an intimate long-term connection and a romantic partnership that doesn't involve a, a, a strong sexual connection or component at all while she seeks sex outside of the relationship with others that arouses her, whatever. She at a certain point has to adjust to who she is sexually if indeed this is who she is sexually. You've been a good boyfriend. You've hung in there. The moment that you're allowed to pull the ripcord and leap the fuck out is the moment the person that you've hung in there with while they're struggling with low libido suggests that maybe you should get chemically castrated until they figure this the fuck out. No, you should get single until they figure this the fuck out. And then maybe you can hook the fuck back up once they've figured this the fuck out. But you do not have to cut off your balls, literally or chemically, to be a good boyfriend. You've been a good boyfriend. Time to go be somebody else's good boyfriend. Hi, I'm 36. I live on the East Coast. Um, I've been married to my wife for, uh, I don't know, 13, 14 years, something like that. We have a four-year-old daughter. My wife has, so we haven't had sex in four years, and my wife has a serious health condition where her, um, all of her, like she doesn't have a pituitary gland or adrenal glands anymore, so she's not capable of producing the hormones needed for desire or anything like that. And on top, so, you know, the likelihood that, that we would ever have sex again is pretty low medically anyway. Um, but we also kind of hate each other, but we can't, like, we're stuck. We can't do anything. We can't leave each other financially because of her, and because of her health. Like, we, there's nothing we can do. So I followed your advice and started having an extramarital affair, I guess, with a friend who, um, they're poly and they're totally down and, and it's, it's a wonderful relationship. I'm, I'm with the, I'm sleeping with the man only. And, uh, it's wonderful. And it's given me the peace that I need to stay in this relationship and keep things sane and relatively healthy for me and for my daughter. However, I'm in a pretty emotionally abusive situation and I don't want my daughter learning that it's okay to stay in this unfulfilled, hateful situation, but I obviously can't tell her that I'm getting my needs met elsewhere, and it's only because of my extramarital stuff that I'm able to deal with the marriage, and I know learning about parents' extramarital affairs, even when kids grow up, can be devastating, so... What do you suggest I do to help my daughter learn about healthy relationships without totally destroying her worldview? The reasons you cite for staying in a relationship that sounds toxic, you say you hate each other, is a house, financial entanglements, your wife's health problems, and co-parenting. There are lots of 
happily divorced people out there who are still co-parenting who could have cited the same reasons for staying. The intermingled finances, financial interdependence, uh, one partner's health problems, uh, and co-parenting. You can continue to co-parent after you get a divorce. Most people who have kids who get a divorce do exactly that. But if you absolutely positively cannot go, if your wife is really dependent on you because of her health problems and you want to stick it out for that reason and you're going to stay, then you need to broaden your conception of the kinds of healthy relationships that you can model for your daughter. I don't think you have to go to your daughter and say, just so you know, I'm happy and content and able to stay because I'm fucking these other two people over there. I think the relationship and the healthy relationship that you can model for your daughter is a healthy companionate relationship, which maybe is a place that you can get to with your wife. You say she has a, a medical problem, a condition that leaves her completely without desire. And one of the reasons probably you guys have been at each other's throats a lot is your sexual frustration and no sex for four years. And now you are not so sexually frustrated anymore because you're getting your needs met elsewhere. You are doing, you're following my advice. You're doing what you need to do to stay married and stay sane. So see if you can't with your wife Come to some sort of peace agreement. See if perhaps with your wife, maybe with a little bit of counseling, you guys can accept what your relationship is now, which is co-parenting and partners and economic interdependence and not a romantic connection, that you are in a companionate marriage. And maybe the hate will drain away if both of you aren't looking at the other and getting angry or frustrated about what you don't mean to each other by shifting your focus to what you do mean to each other and how you can value each other. And you can celebrate what it is that you actually have, which isn't yet but could become a healthy, loving, companionate relationship, a marriage that's not about sex, a marriage that's about everything else that a marriage is often about. And that's what you model for your daughter. You model that as a healthy relationship. And those can be companionate marriages, can be exceedingly healthy, perfectly healthy relationships. There are a lot of really shitty, awful relationships out there where the two people in it are fucking all the time. And there are terrific, long-term, happy, healthy, functional relationships where the two people or more people in it never fuck. Which would you rather have? A high-conflict, abusive Big Little Lies style marriage with someone you have lots of sex with, but it's abusive and awful or a marriage where there isn't sex, but it's loving, it's considerate, it's kind, it's compassionate, it's functional. Maybe you can work toward the latter, that kind of marriage. And then maybe later on when your daughter's a little bit older, you can have the kind of honest relationship with your daughter where you can let her know about your other partners. You can let her know that you have had a wonderful and loving companionate relationship with her other mom, but you've gotten your sexual needs met elsewhere. And that itself is also a healthy relationship model potentially. So diffuse the situation or get the fuck out of the situation if you can. But I think if you and your wife can, with the help of a counselor, set aside your anger and frustration about the sexless years and learn how to see what it is that you've got with each other that has value and focus on that instead, maybe you can hate each other a little less. Maybe you can remember why it is you loved each other enough in the first place to want to start a family together. Good luck. Hi, Dan. I'm a queer lady in the Southeast and I'm in a messy situation right now. I went to a massage therapist a few months ago and I ended up getting uh, molested at the therapist. 
the reason this is messy is because, yeah, I know how to deal with it. I'm not going to go see him again. I, I'm actually going to a therapy appointment about it because now I'm just starting to deal with this. And the, the reason it's messy is because this is actually, this therapist has actually kind of become a family friend. And he is, has been, um, like my mom is a client of, of him and my brother is also been a client. And so we've, we've gotten kind of close to this, this guy. And I've actually worked with him on uh, different settings and such. So, and he was also supposed to be invited to my wedding, which is coming up in a few weeks. So I was keeping this under wraps for a few months. I needed to tell my mom because we needed to uninvite him from the wedding. And my mom is very upset about it. So she's upset that he's done this to me. And we're trying to figure out what to do about this. So I know that we're un uninviting him from the wedding. But I also, my mom is trying to help me out because I don't feel like it's my job to talk to this guy because it's, it's sending me into panic when I think about it. So I don't really want to talk to him. So she's thinking about sending an email to him. And we're just wondering um, if you have any advice on, on how to break off these ties from this family friend and, and massage therapist. First, I'm so sorry that you were assaulted in this way. And I'm glad you're getting the help that you need. I'm also glad you have the support that you deserve from your family. Glad your mother didn't side with your massage therapist in this dispute. I would also encourage you, if this is a licensed massage therapist, to file a fucking complaint and send a fucking letter to his employer about what happened and to think about contacting a lawyer about what happened. As for the wedding, disinfuckingvite him. Tell him why you're disinfuckingviting him after you've talked to a lawyer and after you've sent letters to his employer and the licensing board. Tell him exactly why. I detect, you don't say this, but I, I detect that there's some element of wanting to disinvite him to the wedding and your mother wanting to no longer see him as a client without telling him why, without upsetting him, that you want to disentangle yourself somehow from this professional and now social relationship without hurting his feelings, without him realizing that he fucked up, that he's an asshole, that he sexually assaulted you, without holding him accountable or responsible, that you guys are deferring to this sexual predator's feelings in this circumstance instead of just throwing it out there and laying it on the table and letting the chips fall where they may. It doesn't sound like you're afraid of this guy, afraid of him retaliating against you in any way. You're just afraid, I think, because of that whole zap that's put on women's heads to never be confrontational with men and to always take men's egos and feelings into consideration first and foremost and sublimating their own. You're just worried that he's going to be upset when he gets that disinvitation to the wedding and he's going to be upset when he is cut out of your family's life, when he's no longer a family friend. Let him be upset. You're upset. You're in counseling. You're in therapy because of how upset you are about what he did to you. Don't worry about upsetting him back. Go the fuck ahead and upset him back. Go the fuck ahead and flip the damn table over by reporting him to the licensing agency, by informing his employer, by talking to a lawyer about whether you should sue for damages, at least to cover the expense of the counseling and therapy that you're going to need 
to help you get over what the fuck happened to you. What he did, not what the fuck happened to you. You weren't hit by lightning, by what he did to you. So, Ova up. Send the disinvitation and the reason for it. And let him know he is no longer a friend of your family's. Hi, Dan. I'm a 30-year-old single heterosexual female who moved to Vancouver, British Columbia in January after fleeing the States and he who shall not be named. I'm a fairly recent love cast binger who's super sex positive and a strong independent woman. Well, normally anyway. I've had a fuck buddy for maybe six years or more. We'll sometimes go as much as two years without seeing each other, though this past year we've seen each other every few months due to various weddings, travel plans, etc. We keep minimal, intermittent, but friendly communication in the time frame we're not together. We don't live in the same cities, so it's been really easy to keep the fuck buddy boundaries pretty uncomplicated. Until now. He was in town this weekend for a friend's wedding, so a group of us all got together on the Friday night before. And as always happens when he and I are in the same room because of our undeniable chemistry, we're instantly all over each other. He stayed over at mine, and it was just like always. Super fun, flirty, and sexy. We are friends, and we talk to each other about our dating lives, and we have very realistic expectations, or rather no expectations, from each other on that front, helped out by the fact that we live far apart. So the night of the wedding, I meet up with all of my friends afterwards because I wasn't invited. There were a bunch of friends from out of town that I was really excited to see, and of course I'm looking forward to being flirty and fun with my fuck buddy. But when I show up, he's flirting with another girl and his hands all over her body. They don't kiss, but it's very obvious they aren't talking about the weather. He says hi to me and knows I'm there, but he doesn't stop touching this girl and makes a pathetic effort by a text, obviously recognizing that I seem a little upset to tell me that he's just chatting with friends. Well, fucking shit, she's just his friend. I'm a little humiliated because I was excited to be there, and now I feel like a complete idiot in front of all of our friends who could see what was going on. They all agree that he's being a dick, but that doesn't help the real fucking hurt I'm feeling. The girl eventually leaves at the end of the night, and loser me lets him get away with all of this, and I let him stay over at mine and fuck me again. I gave him a hard time for making me feel shitty, but he wasn't super apologetic and kind of thought that as his fuck buddy, I didn't have the right to be upset. My argument is that an implied part of fuck buddies is a friendship behind it, and this didn't feel very friendly to me. Needless to say, I was definitely wasn't able to come that night, knowing this guy totally disrespected me. He's back at home in his city now, and we sent a few messages to each other, but I kind of feel like he's taken my communication as him getting a pass, and he's getting away with it. I'm, of course, really mad at myself for caving, but I just can't help but adore the shit out of this man or boy or whatever against all of my better judgment. I'm sure if we're both single next time we're together, we'll fuck again. So my question is, am I being unreasonable as a fuck buddy by being really upset because he fucked me on Friday and then touched this girl all over in front of me on Saturday? As I mentioned, it's not because of any hope for a potential relationship, but because as a friend, I felt completely affronted and dejected. Of course, sex complicates things, but in my mind, we've been blissfully uncomplicated until he just made it messy. Do I not have any right to that hurt that he caused me? I know I just need to let it go, and the next time I see him, it will be water under the bridge, but I can't get over how rude he was. The problem isn't that he fucked you on Friday and was all over this girl on Saturday. The problem isn't that he touches other women or fucks other women. You know he touches other women and fucks other women, right? Yes. The problem was how inconsiderate he was. He humiliated you in front of mutual friends. That's the problem and that he couldn't see that because what he was saying at that moment when his hands were all over this other girl, what he was broadcasting to the room that you were in with mutual mm -hmm. friends was that you were the second choice of all the women in the room that he could be with. You were – he wanted to be with this one and you were his fallback. You were number two. You were the second choice. 
And that's hurtful. That's hurtful. That's humiliating. Yes, it is. <laughs> and that's what he needs to apologize for. Not that he would have gotten with this girl that weekend too if he could have because I think you understand in a fuck buddy relationship that's allowed. Who knows? Maybe that girl that he was flirting with that he met at a wedding is a girl that he might have wound up dating and then marrying. Like you know that you're not in it with him for the long haul. You know that marriage and that kind of commitment isn't in the cards for you two, right? And you're not pining for that, are you? No, I'm not. Not. Okay, and so that's you, fine. So you know that eventually you will be most likely he'll wind up in a monogamous relationship with somebody else and you will be displaced. That's part of what you've signed up for. You, you, you're aware of that, right? Yes. So that's not the problem that he was interested no. in some other woman. It was that he didn't have the, the sense. He didn't have the emotional IQ to look at what he was doing and going, even if that's the case, that I'm allowed to sleep with other women, that I do sleep with other women, that eventually I'm going to wind up in a committed relationship with someone else and then she and I are just going to be friends. Even knowing all that to be true, he didn't have the emotional IQ to go, but this is awkward. I'm making my friend with benefits, my friend, feel awkward and uncomfortable by making kind of transparent you know, the fact that she's my second pick tonight and probably – that was painful for her. Uh, and if he can't wrap his head around that, um, wh that what he did wrong wasn't that he wanted to fuck somebody else. What he did wrong was he was very inconsiderate of you and your feelings in that moment. And your feelings weren't, oh, you wish he would pick you and marry you. Your feelings were, this is humiliating. It's right? extremely humiliating. <laughs> and if he had been a little bit more discreet, if he had you know, come up to you and said, I'm going to change, change phone numbers with this woman. And I think we're going to run off to another bar for a while just so, you know, this isn't awkward, but how would you felt? Well, actually I should ask you how you would have felt about that. You know, yeah, if you'd he 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 gone out of his way, not to humiliate you by telegraphing to the room that, you know, between you and this woman, he'd rather fuck her tonight. But if he'd like taken her outside or to some other bar and said, I'll circle back in a couple hours and and we can meet back up, maybe. Would that have been less hurtful if only you knew that you were the second choice that night? I mean, marginally less hurtful, but I mean, I guess I kind of I, I thought there I kind of thought there was an understanding for the weekend, and I misinterpreted that. But I do think it would have been less hurtful because it was right in front of me, mm -hmm. and he knew that it was bothering me because he sent me that stupid text message. Mm -hmm. Because he, he could see that I was upset. And he knew it was bothering you and he sent you that stupid text message and he didn't stop. No. <laughs> oh, actually, it was really funny when we left. So she left and then we were at the bar together and we were talking and I was giving him a hard time and he was like, Bleh. and then, you know, kiss made up, whatever. And then we leave the bar to get a cab back to my house and she's standing outside. Ah! waiting for a cab with her friends. I mean, he and I, we're not like holy handy people. So it was like, you know, and then, but then I had to be respectful to not do or say anything and let her leave first. Mm -hmm. And like, so as not to hurt her feelings. Cause like, that wouldn't be nice. So you were, you were but, being the change you want to see in this fuck boy. You were being, yes, you were being considerate. Of someone else's, Correct. a complete stranger's feelings. In a way, your rival for the evening's feelings. You were able to be considerate. I had to be. I didn't want her to feel like I was feeling. <laughs> and you didn't want to humiliate her or make her feel bad. Or it sounds like you, also you didn't want to screw up his chances with her in the future. 
Correct. I mean, they don't live in the same city as far as I'm aware. I'm How sure considerate are you? There, but... How nice are you? <laughs> so, I'm a walkover, obviously. You no, know, I'm not saying you're a walkover. I don't think that the solution to some people are dicks is all people be dicks. I think the solution when some people are dicks is that other people who are not being dicks draw their attention to non-dickish behavior, which they may not even be able to perceive. And you say to him, here's what I did that night. Here's how I went out of my way to take your feelings into consideration because I value our friendship. When we walked outside and she was there, I could have stuck my tongue down your throat. I could have pissed all over you and let her know that you're mine now. And that would have scotched any possibility of you getting with her in the future, you know, for sex or to date. I could have ruined that for you if I was an inconsiderate, selfish dick. But I'm not. And you know what? In the future, I would like you to be as considerate, unselfish, and undickish with me as I was with you. So you think there could be a future? (laughs) (laughs) Not as in like a relationship future, but I could do this again. Well, how good's the sex? Pretty good. Not the greatest, but it's good. It's good. I like it a lot. And I'm getting him, he's getting, he's becoming more adventurous. I feel like his, whoever he's, he's sleeping with in the meantime is not adventurous. (laughs) <laughs> Most of the lines that I draw in the sand when it comes to things like this are pretty blurry. You know, you shouldn't have to put up with this and this deal breaker, you should dump him, girl. Like, yeah, but you have to weigh that against yeah. what you're getting out of it. And for your own reasons, yeah. are you getting enough out of it that you're willing to, you know, hold him accountable for his actions that night, give him a scolding, ask him to apologize, and then keep fucking him? You're not rewarding him for the bad actions so long as you hold him accountable. And if he, you know, if he, somebody keeps making the same mistake, they keep treating you badly in the same way, then, then eventually you have to give them their walking papers. Yeah. I mean, I guess he's not a, it's not a boyfriend, so it's not like I'm dealing with this all the time. Not a boyfriend, but like you said, and I'm always telling this to people, it's a friendship. FWB. Some people are like, we're not in a relationship. We're just friends with benefits. That's a relationship. And you have to be considerate of that person's feelings. The yeah. only relationship where you don't have to be considerate of some person's feelings is when it's a blow-up doll relationship. <laughs> Abuse the hell out right. of it. You can do whatever the fuck you want. And you don't have to take that thing's <laughs> they make feeling. Yeah, they do, actually. And you don't have to take that thing's feelings into consideration because it doesn't have them. You want to fuck something where you don't have to take their feelings into consideration? Fuck a toaster. Good luck. Thank you so much for calling. My pleasure. And uh, thank you for calling. Thank you for listening. Absolutely. Listen all the time. All right, Dan. Have a good one. You too. Bye. Hey, Dan. I'm a gay guy in my early 30s living in a small town on the New England coast. Last summer, my best childhood friend moved back to this town we grew up in. We were pretty much best friends from the ages of like 5 to 18, and we only really drifted at 18 because we went to different colleges in different states, and then both lived all over the country in our 20s and never really crossed paths much. When we were kids, like middle school age, we fooled around with each other quite a bit. I should mention, he identifies as 100% straight and has said he has no interest in dating men. It was mostly innocent boys going through puberty, discovering themselves, that kind of thing. And we both just jerked off that we did get into oral a little bit and we tried fucking once, but neither of us had any idea what we were doing, so it didn't really happen. But we pretty much stopped that. It was kind of a growing phase, I guess. Uh, When we got to high school, no specific reason, and we've never talked about it. That is not until last week. We were hanging out at happy hour, having a couple of beers, and he said, so you remember that time your mom caught us jerking off when we were kids? I mean, of course I remember. Getting caught with your dick in your hand by your mother at 13 is traumatizing, and doubly so if your friend's dick is in your other hand. So he wanted to say, 
if you ever wanted to fool around like that again, I'd be down. So that brings me to my conundrum. On the one hand, he is very conventionally handsome, straight out of a J. Crew catalog. He has a great body. Definitely not someone I'd mind being naked with. And uh, it also is the fact that there just aren't many gay guys around here. So, like, I've been a monk since I moved back two years ago. I've basically had a little bit of fun with a couple of random people who were here as tourists, but, you know, nothing, certainly nothing meaningful and nothing consistent. Um, so that'd be nice to have someone close by who I could, you know, have some fun with. Um, on the other hand, most of my close like friends are straight guys, and I'm typically very good about avoiding having feelings develop. Once I find a guy who's straight, he's in the friend zone. And, but I'm worried that adding a sexual dimension to our friendship might lead me to feel ways about him that he will never feel about me, and that instead of the fun, close friendship we currently have, at the very least, things could get weird, and at worst, the friendship could end poorly. As I mentioned, we live in a small town, and our families are close, so there would be no avoiding each other if that happened. So, Dan, what do you think? Do I go for the fooling around, or do I keep the friendships strictly platonic? You go for the fooling around, and you live stream it, because I'd like to watch. Uh, as you were unpacking this, I wrote down, before you even got to it, I wrote down, risk of catching feelings. That if he is straight, 100% straight, identified, and you are gay, you're running the risk of crushing out on your friend, of wishing that it could be more than it ever could possibly be and your feelings uh may upset you and that may upset him or he may then distance himself from you in a way that's painful for you and it could get awkward for you guys and your families but that's a conversation that you can have with him what happens if i catch feelings for you what happens if this gets more intimate than your comfortable with or capable of being with another man and then he gets to opt in and if you guys agree in advance that if things get emotionally awkward that you're not going to duke it out that you're not going to let it hit a toxic point that you're not going to engage in recriminations or blow the friendship up i'm not saying that recriminations and toxicity and blowing the friendship up aren't potential consequences then i think it's less likely to come to pass however if you have before you take his dick back into your hand, shaken hands with each other and agreed that if things get awkward, you're going to talk your way through it and remember the friendship. And if you have to take some time away for your feelings for him to diminish or whatever, you will, but you're not going to hate each other. If you agree in advance that you're not going to hate each other, you're less likely to, and you may then be more comfortable giving this guy the assist that he's looking for. Also wanted to say, I commend you for confining straight guys to the friend zone. I'm one of those gay guys who just doesn't understand why some gay guys are into straight guys. I like gayness in a dude and I prefer a gay dude to a straight dude and think gayness itself is attractive. And I don't find anything compelling or arousing about straightness. Like, Oh, he doesn't want to have sex with men. That's so hot to have sex as a man with that man who doesn't want to have sex with men. I don't I have a circuit breaker. I don't see how that works or why that would be hot. But this guy, this guy isn't straight, not 100% straight. Maybe you are the only exception. Maybe you're the one guy grandfathered in because of the kind of homosocial play that you two engaged in uh, around puberty. Maybe you're the only one. Maybe you're the exception. And maybe he remembers those times fondly and thinks it could work again in kind of the same way. And what you're going to find out the first time you guys mess around is that it can't work now with you guys as adults the way it worked for you and him then as adolescents. And so it'll be one J.O. session and that's it. 
and you guys just have to power through the awkwardness after it. Or it's possible that your friend is heteroflexible or bisexual and doesn't quite understand how that works, doesn't understand that there are a lot of bi guys out there who are capable of being intimate and aroused by the thought of a little man-on-man action, but not into a relationship with men, not romantically attracted to men. And there are a lot of bi guys out there who think that that disqualifies them from being bi because isn't bi supposed to mean that you're equally attracted to both genders or the whole gender spectrum and capable of falling in love with or having a relationship with someone of any gender all along that spectrum? And in practice, when you talk to bi people, there are a lot of bi people out there, bi-identified people who are bisexual but heteroromantic, only attracted romantically in the relationship sense to an opposite sex partner but down for sex and, and into sex and attracted to people of the same sex. That could be your friend. I think that's likelier than you are the one exception and he's willing to grandfather you in because you guys were messing around when you were 13. I think he's likelier to be a straight identified bisexual heteroromantic. And I think that you should go for it. And if I were in your shoes, I probably would. But I'm a sex pervert. Hi, Dan. Uh, 31-year-old straight cis dude. So um, I'm dating a girl. We've been together for about a year. Um, she is primarily a sex worker. I work in the service industry and I'm one of those dudes that works 60 hours a week and can never make my bills because I decided to go to college in the United States. And so right now, the type of sex work that she does tends to be camming, a little bit of dominatrix work, some fin dom stuff. But uh, as I'm sure you know, though, maybe your listeners don't, as uh, someone who does sex work, she can make a lot of money pretty quickly, but it's fairly difficult to actually get her hands on that money, basically getting checks into the bank account. So we've been really struggling for the last few months um, since she lost her square job, which was working for someone who she had met through doing uh, seeking arrangements, sugar daddy stuff, and it was a square job, but um, she lost it under some shitty circumstances. And since then, we've really been uh, scraping by. And she recently brought up uh, the possibility of going back to doing seeking arrangements, sugar daddy stuff. I mean, essentially a, a nice way of saying prostitution. And I'm I'm super pro sex worker. I think that feminism without being a sex pro sex worker is not real feminism. And so, like, I'm theoretically on board. But whenever I think about her actually doing that type of sex work. It just kind of like makes me a little bit sad, uh, you know, just just the thought of of her being with some rich old dude just kind of bums me out. And I'm struggling with it because, you know, if I'm pro sex worker and I think that, you know, women have a right to make money or anyone really, however they choose to. Um, but I feel a little bit like a hypocrite struggling with the thought of my girlfriend doing it. It, you know, it obviously her doing it, she she could make a lot of money in a short period of time. It would really help us out and, and really alleviate the biggest stressor in our relationship, which is, you know, financial stuff, struggling with bill collectors and all that stuff. Um, so what do I do here? Uh, is there a way that I can try to make myself more comfortable with this? Like, I know it's just work. I don't confuse sex work with romance and uh, it's nothing like that? Or do I just have to accept that this is something that I'm not comfortable with? 
So you say your girlfriend does camming and domination work and financial domination, and yet she mm-hmm. can't access the money she's making very easily? Why is that? Well, originally it was because the checks that would come in from the camming sites, when we brought them to the bank, they would reject them mm-hmm. because they had flagged the camming sites as as sex work sites. And then mm-hmm. it was because we were, you have to like transfer it through PayPal and then from PayPal to the account. Mm-hmm. It would take like, weeks sometimes like we were we've been waiting on one of her checks for six weeks because it like came and then it went back and then it came again so there's always all this money floating around but we never actually had access to it is, but is that that problem. wouldn't apply to the domination work or the financial domination that as far no, as I no. understand financial domination that's people dumping money in your paypal account or or sending you money for for basically existing uh, and when she does pro dom work, that's usually cash, correct? Right. And so she just started doing the dominatrix work, like maybe like two or three weeks ago. Oh, okay. so she's just started having that. And even, but even the financial domination work, it's not particularly reliable because mm-hmm. it's like sometimes the dudes will show up and they'll give her money, and sometimes they won't, and sometimes they'll blow her off. So it's like. Yeah. Like, Sometimes I just so, want to have the conversation with her about meeting up and jerk off about that conversation and then not show up. It's sort of something I hear from my sex worker pals that often, you know, get fakes or flakes who are making appointments that they have no intention to keep because it's sexy to make the appointment. And it's kind of, you know, labor that they're doing without being paid for it, which sucks. Correct. Guys yeah. out there don't jerk sex workers around by making appointments or having endless conversations about the appointment that you want to make if you have no intention of following through. There are websites out there uh, for people who do camming and there's sort of online support groups like we cam girls and cam girl nation. And maybe if your girlfriend dived into there, she would get some recommendations about cam sites whose checks don't bounce or get blocked or some other way of obtaining payment uh, that isn't going to create this problem. But I'm not really, you know, I'm kind of sidestepping your actual question, which is if she wants to start doing sugar daddy, sugar baby, type sex work again, that is going to involve her having sex with other men. And that for Mm -hmm. you seems to be problematic. Right. And like the thing about it is that I think the thing that maybe bums me out the most about it is that it makes me feel like a hypocrite because I've always been someone who, you know, in like a standard conversation would say things that were pro sex worker would never, um, would never like criticize my girlfriend's right to dress however she wants to post whatever she wants on Instagram, whatever stuff like that. And, and now it's kind of like, but you're, but you're wait, wait, okay, like, stop feeling guilty. You're allowed to have a preference about being in a monogamous relationship. And there are degrees, uh, you know, sex work is a spectrum and some of it involves physical contact and sex with other people. And a lot of it doesn't, you know, uh, being a stripper in a club and performing lap dances, being a cam, uh, person uh, doing professional domination. These are all, you know, being a foot model. These are all kinds of sex work, types of sex work that don't involve intercourse with others. And so you could be someone who's pro sex, pro sex worker, willing and you know open to dating and being with someone who's a sex worker, and still want to have a monogamous relationship with that sex worker. You're allowed to have preferences yeah. around monogamy and non-monogamy, and I don't think that makes you a hypocrite. Well, and I think even that we were both people who were poly before we started dating. And then 
for some reason, just neither of us have wanted to do that since we started dating. So it being in a monogamous relationship is unto itself a little bit unique for both of us, I think. Mm -hmm. And how does she feel? Is she like not pursuing this actively because you're uncomfortable with her having sex with other guys or an other guy, yeah. one other guy? Because usually sugar baby, sugar daddy is one guy and she's not pursuing it out of deference to your feelings, but she would be fine with it. Is that what's going on? Yeah, I think that's basically where we stand right now. All right. Well, that sounds like an impasse. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. if the only reason she's contemplating sugar baby, sugar daddy arrangement again is because of the financial pressures you guys are under, then the solution is to either you to give way, you to allow this to happen and see if the reality of her having one other guy in her life that she does have intercourse with isn't as upsetting uh, as the your the anticipation of it is. Or you figure out how to help her or she figures out how to uh, monetize the different kinds of sex work that she's already doing that you are comfortable with to make it more remunerative, okay. to hang in there until the pro-dom work uh, is more regular. And pro-dom work pays pretty fucking well to hang in there until it you know, the money starts coming in from that and to find a new way to do camming, maybe with the advice of people at We Cam Girls and Cam Girl Nation, where her checks aren't going to float around for six or eight weeks when you guys are desperate for the dough. Yeah. I mean, what, right, you well, know, that, it, that, it, that sounds like a plan. One of you has to give way, right? One of, and, 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 and I do think you should do both. I mean, she should figure out how to, you know, get a better deal camming and ramp up the pro dom work, even if, you do go ahead and get another sugar daddy, sugar baby arrangement going. She should do that, of course. But it's an impasse. One of you is going to have to lose. Yeah. If she wants it and you don't, she either doesn't for you or you let her. You give her your consent. Yeah, and, and that was something we talked about too is sort of trying at so – one of the other things that we also do is we kind of split up our finances a little bit because I think we had kind of jumped the gun. We've only – it'll be our one-year anniversary in about a week. So we kind of jumped the gun on smushing everything together a oh little bit. Oh, my God. I have, so your, kinda, I have your in my notes as I listen to your call. Together one year and commingled finances? What's up with that? Because I did think that was a bit odd. Yeah, and part of it was kind of out of necessity because when she lost her job, um, her like real like her square job, then we kind of had to smush everything together to make our bills. But at this point, and I think a lot of it is that I'm a lifelong service industry worker who never makes a lot of money and has to be like really frugal. Mm -hmm. And she's always had the ability to come up with, you know, three or four grand or whatever doing sex work. Like suddenly, if she's in a jam. And sort of has a tendency to kind of spend according to that. And so one of the things that we did in this whole conversation is kind of took a step back and was like, we need to figure out our own shit financially before we add all the stress into our relationship. Because it was becoming like a like a really big stress, a really big stressor between us that we had we had like we also we moved in together after two weeks of dating, ah! got a dog after a month. Got a dog after uh, our first date was a 3,000 mile cross country trip, essentially. So, oh my um, God. we moved real quick on a lot of things. <laughs> this is like how to do everything wrong. 
but it's working out. So, hey, what the hell? You know, sometimes it works out. But, you know, moving in after two weeks, commingling finances in under a year, getting a dog in a month, like those kinds of premature commitments and entanglements usually aren't a good sign for long-term potential. But there are always exceptions. And maybe you two are the exception. Unmingling your finances, I think, is an important step here. Because yeah, and restoring some autonomy and financial autonomy to both of you, which may mean loosening your commitment to each other a little bit, you know, taking a big mm-hmm. step back and saying to her, you know, you are a free agent. If you decide for your own financial reasons, you know, because of these financial pressures that you need to engage in this kind of sex work, I'm just going to have to live with that because, because we've only been dating for a year and you have to act in your own best interests at this time and shouldn't have to answer entirely to someone you've been with for less than 12 months. Yeah, that makes sense to me. And then see how you feel about it. Like when she's doing it again, your fears may be overblown about what it'll mean for you emotionally or, or how sort of present it'll be in your mind when you're with her, that she's sometimes with this other guy she may wind up in a seeking arrangements relationship where there's not much sex. That happens too. Or no sex. Mm-hmm. Who knows? She may find a seeking arrangement dude who wants basically a seeking arrangement set up with a dom. Someone who's going to tie him up and spank him and he's going to jack off and that's going to be it. You're obviously already comfortable with that kind of sex work. Yeah. So I would advise you to let her make the moves that she needs to make to take care of herself. And put your own feelings about this on the back burner while also emphasizing again that you're not a hypocrite. You can be pro-sex work and you can date sex workers and you can have a preference around the relationship being monogamous. And there being certain things that are for you only or about the relationship only. Certain sexual things you and your sex worker girlfriend only do with each other. And that may put limitations on her and on her profession. And then she gets to decide whether she's willing to accept those limitations. If that's a price of admission professionally, she's willing to pay to be with you. And if it's not, then she can break up. And at that moment, you get to decide whether the price of admission you're willing to pay to be with her is to think differently or allow her to to do this, to accept that she's going to do this. So what are the other of you who's going to have to pay a price of admission? Okay. Good luck. Dan, thank you so much. You're welcome. Hi, Dan. I'm a 27-year-old straight man calling from Beijing, China. Originally from the UK, uh, I started seeing somebody six months ago who I'm pretty confident I'd like to spend the rest of my life with. The relationship's going really well, and I think she feels the same way about me. We also have a healthy, regular sex life. The thing that privately turns me on the most is the thought of her with another man, sometimes with me watching or participating, sometimes not. Either way, it's a cuckold fetish. However, I'm 100% confident that neither of us will be comfortable with actually doing it, at least for me, as part of the reason why I enjoy the thought is because I am by nature quite a jealous man. So the thought of something so taboo and which would destroy me emotionally loops back around into being the ultimate pleasure to think about. Uh, she's also said to me that she's very set on monogamy, so I know if we were to do it, at least now things would go downhill quickly. So we're on the same page in reality, and it's fine. Uh, we've had conversations about it, though, and we've done a little role play and incorporated it into some dirty talk to let her know that it's the thing that turns me on the most. She's been kind enough to play along because she knows that I get off on it but I'm very worried about the amount that I think about it. Not just that uh, she meets and has sex with a stranger, which is obviously a brilliant thought in in fantasy land, uh, but the fact that she's also told me about some of her previous sexual encounters. And when I masturbate, I often imagine what they 
must have been like. And then in the post-ejaculation gloom, I've suddenly become worried and jealous that they were better than our experiences together, admittedly just because I've imagined they were exactly that. And this ultimate pleasure just becomes jealousy again. I'm privately spinning into a solo frenzy of unwarranted jealousy and obsessiveness, worrying about my own adequacy as a partner compared to how I unrealistically imagine her past to be. That maybe wouldn't happen if I could resist this temptation to think about it so much. But I do think about it because superficially it does no harm. Also, uh, if I were to be self-disciplined and block it off, which I've tried to do before, it's just involuntarily loomed large in the back of my mind, both day to day and when thinking about or having sex. The question is, how do I manage or channel this feeling in a healthy way? Um, how do I block it out before I get carried away with jealousy? It's it's not at the point where I've uh, mentioned this stuff to her, but I can see it getting there. Uh, I can see it molding me into a very jealous boyfriend. So um, if you can help, I'd uh, much appreciate it. Thank you very much. Joining me by phone to help tackle this question is Ben Steele. He's a sex and relationship expert specializing in cuckoldry and kink. He has been both a bull and a cuckold over the last 10 years and works full-time offering information, advice, and coaching to the cuckold community. Hey, Ben, thanks for jumping on the phone. Glad to be here, Dan. Okay, before we get to the particulars of this caller's question, uh, I want to ask you about cuckold college. What is cuckold college? So cuckold college uh, is a baby of mine when I went out on the internet sort of looking for reliable information about the cuckold lifestyle in the modern age. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, why do we have it? Some of the particulars. I couldn't find anything um, other than forums and some sort of hashtag information. So I decided to create what I was looking for. And I think of it sort of as a one-stop shop for uh, everything you ever wanted to know about the practice of modern day cuckoldry. And it's not a pornography site, right? It's a... It is not. We do not feature any pornographic videos uh, or stories. We have, images. Some, uh, we have some slightly racy images in some areas, mostly in the member section, but the main website, no, there's none of that. Cuckoo College right now is undergoing a major revision. I am moving that over and I'm going to rename it to a cuckold relationship. Mm-hmm. And I'm doing that just because I want to offer a little bit more um, robust, I think, uh, information and infrastructure. And so we're going we're gonna to move that over and uh, hopefully have that up on May 1st. And we don't want to be calling things colleges or universities anymore that aren't because we've seen the trouble that Donald Trump got into calling his pyramid scheme or his seminar scam Trump University. There's actually, you know, yeah. you want to attract the attention of any anti-sex attorneys general. Right. So good idea. Renaming cuckold. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Cuckold relationship. And where can people find that online as of May 1st? Uh, so they can just go to www.cuckoldrelationship.com. And mm. uh, if you go to Cuckold College, I'll have that forwarded over to the, for, to the new domain for about six months. So uh, that's where you can find us. OK, let's back into this caller's questions. Uh, you yeah. yourself have been a cuckold and a bull. How long uh-huh. were you in a relationship uh, and how long was did cuckolding turn you on before you found yourself in a cuckolding relationship where you were with someone who was cheating on you? We, we, you know, cheating on you in quotes and italics because in a healthy cuckold relationship, it's completely consensual. So it's only cheating in the eroticized jealousy sense. But how long were you with someone before you and, and how long were you turned on by the idea of cuckolding before you actually became a cuckold? Okay, great. So I'll answer that in just a, a couple of uh, stages. Uh, mostly when I was single is the, are the times that I was uh, in the bull phase. For whatever reason, I found uh, that the particular dynamics of that threesome scenario to be very appealing. And so and, when I had the opportunity. And for people yeah. out there who don't know what you mean by bull, what do you mean by ah, bull? Yes. 
Thank you. Uh, so a bull is uh, what the cuckold community calls an individual who sleeps with um, a married woman. Uh, and that's with her, her and her husband's uh, full permission and consent. Uh, and he's known as the bull. It's a reference to the uh, stag's horns. So the bull is the very special guest star. Yeah, he's sort of the guest of honor, I guess you, I guess you could look at it that way for sure. He's there basically at the wife's behest to uh, fulfill her, I guess, uh, sexual cravings at times. And the husband's really into it. So it's a win-win for everyone. Okay, so you were a cuckold and you were a bull. Um, did you struggle with feelings of jealousy? Were you worried the first time you stepped into this lifestyle? Yeah. So um, one of the things you would ask was how long had I been in a relationship? Was there any cheating? So the way that I sort of found myself interested in being a cuckold, I uh, was at the tail end of a long-term relationship about three years and it did involve getting cheated on mm-hmm. no consent or permission. Uh, and, you know, I asked her about it, something that guys do on occasion, one of the less than seller traits we have, but she gave me the details. And instead of getting really upset, I found myself getting really turned on and perplexed at the same time. And that was sort of the beginning of my, my journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, I met my current wife about six years ago. And I'd say after we were together for about a month, I told her uh, that it really turned me on. I sort of admitted my fantasy. Uh, she was okay with it, uh, but was monogamous, had no intentions on fulfilling it. And, uh, you know, for about five years, this was just something that we played around with uh, in fantasy. So jealousy didn't really come up a lot. Mm-hmm. And why did you limit it to fantasy over those five years? Well, we limited it to fantasy for a couple of reasons. Uh, One is my wife was just not, uh, she just wasn't willing to go there. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the other part of that was, uh, while I knew that the fantasy turned me on a lot, I also thought that the reality of that situation might be a little bit different. And I just had to dip my toe in the pool for a long time before I was ready to swim. And... Let's pivot now to the call. Let's talk about the caller because your situation sounds, at least at the outset, a little similar. You know, I think the notable thing about the caller's question is that he's only been with this woman for six months. So it's uh-huh. very early in the relationship. It's great that they're honest about each other's turn-ons and I hope he's as solicitous of her uh, and, and you know, welcoming of her sharing her fantasies and kinks and turnouts with him as she clearly right, is. Absolutely. Uh, as she clearly has been with him. Um, but they, they're six months in and, and this is clearly something that turns him on and freaks him out a little bit at the same time. Uh-huh. And he says he's 100% confident that he would never do it, that he could never act on this fantasy, he would never want to act on this fantasy. And in my experience and, and your answers to my questions jived with this, that's what people that I've met who are actually cuckold couples typically say or said about their first year or two together that this was just a fantasy and they would never act on it. And they got to a point where they felt confident enough in the relationship that they could at least think about acting on it or tiptoe up to acting on it and then acted on it and it didn't destroy the relationship. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's a really great point. And I think it's one of the most common entry points, if you will, is uh, a guy will realize that he's turned on by this and uh, doesn't know what to do about it. And um, he usually keeps it under wraps. Uh, I'm, I think it's awesome that he actually admitted, as you said, his turn on to his wife at the, at the early stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I had to laugh a little bit. I said the same thing myself. I hear it all the time about, you know, this is something I would never do. 
But the fantasy has a way of evolving over time. It almost becomes a little obsessive at points. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that has to do a lot with uh, the psychology behind uh, why cuckolding turns you on. But uh, yeah, I'd say that's a very common entry point. And the reasons he cites for why he could never act on it, jealousy, feelings of jealousy, feelings of inadequacy, those are exactly the feelings that in an actual cuckold relationship where cuckolding is happening that are eroticized, that those aren't disqualifying feelings. Those are kind of what you have to bring to the table at the outset for cuckolding in the sort of – with its power dynamic aspects. It's not just hot wifing. For that to work, for that to be something that turns you on. And he seems really articulate and intelligent and, and hyper mm-hmm. aware of that. I have to ask though – you know, uh, I've done some research into cuckolding. I'm working on a paper about cuckolding with a couple of other sex researchers. Yeah. And, you know, I go into the boards. There's Reddit boards for cuckolds. And I read. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes, you know, guys who are curious about cuckolding will jump in there and share their story. And this community of actual cuckolds, of guys who are into cuckolding, who have cuckold relationships, sometimes will jump up and say, this isn't right for you. You shouldn't do it that your jealousy is too powerful or too toxic or too violent and it's not for you. Do you ever find yourself giving that same advice? Have you ever interacted with anyone over your website or through your seminars or your uh, in your professional capacity where they've been interested in cuckolding, turned on by the thought, and you've just said, yeah, this for you should just stay a fantasy? Yeah, I think there's two realms there. So, you know, sometimes I'll advise people just to stay in the realm of fantasy. Uh, and sometimes I won't even advise that. And a lot of times that has to do with um, how opposed uh, the spouse is to that particular fantasy. Mm-hmm. On a couple of occasions, it was a vehement uh, disagreement and it started to really adversely affect the relationship. Um, but in terms of staying within fantasy and not moving beyond it's sort of taken on a case by case basis, but um, if, if those feelings of jealousy and inadequacy, and you accurately pointed out, the sort of prerequisites to cuckolding. Uh, but if, if an individual finds that, you know, maybe after he masturbates or thinks about the fantasy, that he's just, he feels terrible and awful, and those feelings are just too much to deal with, mm-hmm. uh, then a lot of times I'll say, you know what, then maybe you would really want to stick with this in fantasy uh, and sort of just see as you move on uh, whether or not this turns out being right for you. And I often advise what's called a teaser test. And what is so that? that like? is a, yeah. So uh, what that looks like is, and my wife uh, sort of invented this, if you will, but uh, one day she came in and she put me through this whole thing where she told me she had finally done it. And we were, I was living off the stories that she was telling and it was amazing. We did this for about three weeks before she admitted that she was full of it and nothing had ever happened. Uh, but it was really genius because uh, we really got to see how I reacted, how upset I got, what the dynamics were going to be like. It really gave me a big window into how the reality might look. So that's something else I advise people. And that was just your wife pulled that out? She just thought, okay, he keeps telling me he would maybe like for this to actually happen. I'm going to pretend it happened to gauge his reaction? Yeah. She said, I didn't believe you. She goes, I thought that if I really did this, you would freak out. She goes, I'm really surprised that you actually did well. So. Okay, I, I think both of us have a pro-cuckolding bias here at work, and we're going to have to face up to the actual question that this guy answers. Let's just accept that he knows himself well enough to say that this is something he can never risk doing, that he's too jealous and his feelings of inadequacy are too severe uh, that if he ever acted on this, it wouldn't just be you know sub-drop after orgasm. It wouldn't just be 
that prolactin-induced regret uh, that it might destroy him or destroy his relationship. So he can never do it. And his question then is, how do I manage or channel this feeling in a healthy way? Let's both of us take a stab at answering that. He's obsessed about this fantasy. He likes to hear about his girlfriend's previous sexual encounters. He thinks about this all the time, but he can never act on it. How does he channel that? What does he do with that? That's a great question. Uh, I think one of the things I would advise him to ask himself, you know, is how central to his sexuality is this fantasy? And that's likely to evolve over time. Mm. I know with a lot of the guys that I work with and myself, it starts off as a general interest and then becomes almost an obsessive focus for a while. So I think as long as his fantasy is somewhat peripheral and not dominating his sexuality, uh, then I talk to his um, fiance, I guess, about masturbation. You know, can he get an outlet that way or can can they role play and that's still going to be okay with their relationship dynamic and it sounds like that's what Um, they're already doing right right so i i think they probably have something that works uh fairly well for them and i'm not sure that it uh would be at least based on the caller's um background i don't think it'd be great for them to move in a different direction not anytime soon the only thing i would add and i think that's great advice the only thing i would add is he needs a pressure release valve because they're acting on it in fantasy. They're exploring it through fantasy. She's telling him about past experiences uh, mm-hmm. and they're role-playing about it a little bit already. And the pressure is building. You know, He's obsessed about this. He thinks about it all the time. He fantasizes and masturbates about it all the time. And I think what, caller, I think what you need to tell yourself is not this can never happen because that's just clamping the lid down on the pot, on the stove, and then it's going to explode. And it's going to happen in an unthoughtful way. So rather than saying, I can never do this, I think what the caller should say to himself is, I can't do this now. I'm not in a place where we could act on these fantasies now. But who knows in five years, in 10 years? You know, reading the stories of cuckold couples, you read a lot of stories from people who fantasized about this for five years or 10 years or 15 years with a spouse who was amenable to role play and not shutting them down or kink shaming them about their fantasies. And then they reached a place in their relationship where it felt right to move out of fantasy land and into reality land, into actualization. And I think, you know, I would say to the caller, I think that could be the pressure release valve because right now what you're doing is you're fantasizing about all of this and saying, and I can never do it. And you're going to explode. That's just that's putting yourself under so much pressure. I think the better move would be fantasizing about it, exploring it, role play, and saying, "Not right now. It's not wouldn't be right for us to do it now, and we're not going to do it right now." But who knows? In five years or ten years, she may feel differently about monogamy as she becomes more secure in our relationship and our sexual connection and our emotional connection. I may feel less inadequate, less insecure. My jealousy may become kind of vestigial and less overwhelming, but still there for the erotic component that's necessary for a cuckolding scene, but less toxic and terrifying. But that may come in a decade. So, caller, don't do it, but install a pressure release valve of maybe you can do it someday, just not now. Yeah, that's that's great advice. Uh, I think taking any sort of ironclad stance on human sexuality, which is constantly evolving, uh, can be a little short-sighted. It took me, you know, you mentioned several others. It took me five years to uh, convince my wife to uh, to do anything. So I think it's a really great advice. And I think with those three things, uh, he should be able to manage it pretty well. Ben Steele, sex and relationship expert specializing in cuckoldry and kink. Check him out at cuckoldrelationship.com, his new site as of May 1st. Ben, thanks so much for jumping on the phone. That was a great conversation. All right, Dan. Thanks for having me. 
Hi, Dan. This is a 23-year-old male. I'm from San Francisco, and I'm gay, obviously. Anyway, I have a boyfriend who is 29, and I also may point out I'm a former child actor. You don't really know me, nothing big. I just did a few episodes on Cold Case, you know, like a Law and Order, CSI, those little type things. But my boyfriend, he really wants to get off watching me in these videos while we're having sex. I'm kind of freaked out about this. I don't know what to do. I think this is kind of suspicious. He seems to be kind of kinky type of thing. But I don't know. Is this like your campsite rule? I know that, of course, I'm over 18, but it seems like you always want to date me and fuck me because I used to be a child actor. Maybe he was attracted to me as a child. I don't know. What do you think? I think it's creepy. And sounds like you think it's creepy too. I don't know what's going on between your boyfriend's ears. Is your boyfriend a pedophile? Does it arouse him to think about not just fucking the man you are now, but also the boy you were then. And that's part of the thrill of having the video on when he's in the room with you. That's something you're going to have to unpack with him. He's going to sense you're creeped out. And so if that's the case, he is likely to deny it. There are other scenarios that you could spin that he thinks it's kind of fun and arousing that he used to be this kid on TV that people looked at and now he gets to fuck the man you are now and he's attracted to the man you are now. But there's this kind of perverse frisson, this buzz or pleasure that he takes in being the sex partner of somebody who used to be on TV when he was a kid. And that seems all kind of divine decadence to quote Liza Minnelli and Cabaret. You'll have to draw that out of him, though, and you'll have to make your best assessment on whether or not you want to continue to see this guy, knowing what you know, if indeed you can know it, if indeed he will admit it, particularly if it is the former, the kind of into you when you were a kid and wishes he could fuck you when you were a kid. So you have a right to go to your boyfriend who's asking you to do this kind of kinky thing that involves your childhood self and ask him, what is up with that? And ask for an explanation that makes you comfortable enough with that to do it with and for him. If he's sexualizing the child that you were and that makes you uncomfortable, if that makes you feel like you are in bed with someone who wishes he was in bed with an eight-year-old instead of the 23 or 24-year-old that you are, I think you have a right to uh, end this relationship. That would be kind of creepy reaching, libido killing, reaching relationship, terminating event status in my opinion. Hi, Dan. I'm the tech savvy at risk youth. Uh, I'm a 25 year old bisexual woman and I'm dating an amazing guy. Uh, my partner enjoys nipple stimulation and it gets him extra hard. I find this really hot since most hetero guys I've been with weren't that excited by nipple play and I love making him feel good. The only issue is that he likes positions where I can lick, suck on, or rub his nipples during intercourse. Most of the time, this means a missionary position, although we do mix it up. Missionary is my least favorite position, but mostly I'd like to try something that frees up my hands or his hands to touch me more during sex. He's definitely committed to making me come afterwards, but I'd really like to be able to during intercourse, which is hard to do when both hands are playing with his nipples. Do you have any tips on positions that would make it easier to play with them while shifting more attention towards my needs and just getting out of the missionary slump? 
I don't have a suggestion about positions that'll free up your hands. I have a suggestion about a toy or a bunch of toys that'll free up your hands. Fill your nightstand with tit clamps. I know that sounds scary, particularly to people who are vanilla. They think of tit clamps as tit torture devices, and some people do use them that way. But like sexual orientation and gender identity, tit clamps exist on a spectrum from mild and gentle to horrifying and extremely painful. And you'll probably want something if he enjoys nipple stimulation on the milder side or toward the middle. And here's the thing. You put tit clamps on him and there's usually a chain that links them together so they don't get lost like those things you used to put on your mittens when you were a kid. And that chain rattles around while you guys are fucking and it pulls on his tits as it swings. And it does the work for you and frees up your hands. And you can also take a little bit of rope or twine and tie it to the chain or tie it to both tick clamps and loop it around a bedpost or, you know, pull it over your shoulder and lay back on it and just anchor it somehow so that when he wants some more intense nipple stimulation as he's approaching climax, he just needs to arch his back and lean into it a little bit. And the rope will do the work of yanking on his tits while your hands do the work of playing with your clit. Hi, Dan. I'm calling uh, in response to episode 547 and your response to the woman who was concerned that her in-laws preferred their 12 cats to their children. Um, I agree 100% with your answer. Grandparents may be that way and there's nothing you can do about it. However, there's one thing that I think the caller should consider. Uh, As people get older and they're more likely to have dementia or cognitive issues, one of the first symptoms is that they do uh, retreat from their family and loved ones because they are experiencing memory problems. They are confused by everyday situations, such as navigating an airport, making a car reservation, even you know getting to the airport. So these types of excuses can come up that seem so ridiculous to family members and it makes family members get angry, when in reality it's because they are embarrassed or ashamed of their own declining abilities. Hi, I just have a comment for the long-distance cousins. I just want to point out that him using other women's as beards is totally unacceptable and effed up, and I can't believe that he would be a person who would put other women through that and still somebody that she thought was a respectable, good person. So either they need to put a stop to that right away, or she needs to dump him because he sounds like kind of an asshole to me. Hi, Dan Savage and the At Your Fat Risk Youth. This is the Pansexual Consent Workshopping House Cleaner. Thank you for airing my question. And also, I just wanted to give you a report back. I did not go back and clean the house. I did not leave a consent zine in the tub. It was not a tub full of sperm. All of those things are true. <laughs> but I did um, send a text to both husband and wife and let them know um, that I felt uncomfortable cleaning their house because of the sperm I'd cleaned in their tub. And they both responded by text in a flurry of text for about 45 minutes with insults and defensiveness and really bad jokes and how I'm, as a house cleaner, people have sex in their homes. And if, even if there was sperm, that it's my job to clean it up. And other things like I was sad and pathetic. So I think I made the right choice. And, uh, I agree that it would have been passive-aggressive to leave the zine. Thanks for your airing of the message. It was very cathartic for me. Even though I lost some income, I'll pick up another great client instead. Before we leave it there anywhere, I want to mention that I will be appearing at the Palace of Fine Arts Theater in San Francisco on September 15th, 2017 for a live taping 
of the Savage Lovecast. Starting April 25th, listeners can get tickets at Ticketmaster.com and on the Palace's website, www.palaceoffinearts.org. Using the promo code SAVAGE, these will go on sale to the general public on April 28th. Please join me in San Francisco on September 15th, 2017 for a fun live taping of the Lovecast. All right, we're going to leave it there. 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you'd like to record a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz, 206-302-2064. Be sure to read Savage Love, my weekly syndicated sex advice column in Internazionale, a publication in Italy that I'm very proud to see my column running in, in Italian. You can also read it in English in newspapers all across America. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Ben Steele on Twitter at CuckoldExpert76. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at-risk youth and Nancy. We will all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for